Chapter 19 of Starman's Quest. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Starman's Quest by Robert Silverberg. Chapter 19. It was not difficult for Alan to get the route of the Valhalla, which had been recorded at Central Routing Registration. Every starship was required by law to register a detailed route chart before leaving, and these charts were filed at the Central Bureau. The reason was simple. A starship with a crippled drive was a deadly object. In case a starship's drive conked out, it would keep drifting along towards its destination, utterly helpless to turn, maneuver, or control its motion. And if any planets or suns happened to lie in its direct path, the only way a ship could alter its trajectory was to cut speed completely, and with the drive dead there would be no way of picking it up again. The ship would continue to drift slowly out to the stars while its crew died of old age. So the routes were registered, and in the event of drive trouble it was thus possible for a rescue ship to locate the imperiled starship. Space is immense, and only with a carefully registered route could a ship be found. Starship routes were restricted information, but Alan had influence he was easily able to persuade the routing registration people that his intentions were honorable, that he planned to overtake the Valhalla if they would only let him have the coordinates. A bit of minor legal jugglery was all that was needed to give him access to the data. It seemed there was an ancient regulation that said any member of a starship's crew was entitled by law to examine his ship's registered route if he wanted to. The rule was intended to apply to starmen who distrusted their captains and were fearful of being shipped off to some impossibly distant point. It said nothing at all about starmen who had been left behind and were planning to overtake their ships. But nothing prohibited Alan from getting the coordinates, so they gave them to him. The Cavour was ready for departure. Alan elbowed his way through the crowd of curious onlookers and clambered into the redesigned control chamber. He paused a moment, running his fingers over the shiny instrument panel with its new dials, strange levers, unfamiliar equipment. Overdrive compensator, fuel transmuter, distortion guide, bender index, strange new names. But Alan realized they would be part of the vocabulary of all future spacemen. He began to work with the new controls, plotting his coordinates with extreme care, and checking them through six or seven times. At last he was satisfied he had computed a hyperdrive course that would loop him through space and bring him out in only a few days' time in the general vicinity of the Valhalla, which was buzzing serenely along at near the speed of light. That was practically a snail's pace compared with hyperdrive. The time for the test had come. He spoke briefly with his friends and assistants in the control tower, then he checked his figures through one last time, and requested blast-off clearance. A moment later the countdown began, and he began setting up for departure. A tremor of anticipation shot through him as he prepared to blast off on the first hyperdrive voyage ever made. He was stepping out into the unknown, 
making the first use ever of a strange, perhaps dangerous, means of travel. The drive would loop him out of the space-time continuum into where and back again, he hoped. He punched down the keys and sat back to wait for the automatic pilot to carry him out from Earth. Somewhere past the orbit of the moon, a gong told him that the Cavour drive was about to come into play. He held his breath. He felt a twisting sensation. He stared at the viewscreen. The stars had vanished. Earth, with all its memories of the last nine years, was gone, taking with it Hawks, Jesperson, York City, the Enclaves, everything. He floated in a featureless, dull, gray void, without stars, without worlds. So this is hyperspace, he thought. He felt tired, and he felt tense. He had reached hyperspace. That was half the struggle. It remained to see whether he would come out where he expected to come out, or whether he would come out at all. Four days of boredom. Four days of wishing that the time would come to leave hyperspace. And then the automatic pilot came to life. The Cavour generator thrummed and signaled that it had done its work and was shutting down. Alan held his breath. He felt the twisting sensation. The Cavour was leaving hyperdrive. Stars burst suddenly against the blackness of space. The viewscreen brightened. Alan shut his eyes a moment as he readjusted from the sight of the gray void to that of the starry reaches of normal space. He had returned. And below him, making its leisurely journey to Prezion, was the great golden-hulled bulk of the Valhalla, gleaming faintly in the black night of space. He reached for the controls of his ship radio. Minutes later, he heard a familiar voice, that of Chip Collier, the Valhalla's chief signal officer. Starship Valhalla, picking up. We read you. Who is calling, please? Alan smiled. This is Alan Donald, Chip. How goes everything? For a moment, nothing came through the phones but astonished sputtering. Finally, Collier said thickly, Alan? What sort of gag is this? Where are you? Believe it or not, I'm hovering right above you in a small ship. Suppose you get my father on the wire, and we can discuss how I'll go about boarding you. Fifteen minutes later, the Cavour was grappled securely to the skin of the Valhalla, like a flea riding an elephant, and Alan was climbing in through the main airlock. It felt good to be aboard the big ship once again, after all these years. He shucked his spacesuit and stepped into the corridor. His father was standing there waiting for him. Hello, Dad. Captain Donnell shook his head uncomprehendingly. Alan, how did you... I mean... And you're so much older, too. I... The Cavour Drive, Dad. I've had plenty of time to develop it. Nine good long years back on Earth. And for you, it's only a couple of months since you blasted off. Another figure appeared in the corridor, Steve. He looked good. The last few months aboard the Valhalla had done their work. 
The unhealthy fat he had been carrying was gone. His eyes were bright and clear, his shoulders square. It was like looking into a mirror to see him, Alan thought. It hadn't been this way for a long time. Alan, how did you... Quickly, Alan explained. So I couldn't reverse time, he finished. I couldn't make you as young as I was, so I took the opposite tack and made myself as old as you were. He looked at his father. The universe is going to change now. Earth won't be so overcrowded. And it means the end of the enclave system and the Fitzgerald contraction. We'll have to convert the Valhalla to the new drive, Captain Donnell said. He looked still stunned by Alan's sudden appearance. Otherwise we'll never be able to meet the competition of the new ships. There will be new ships, won't there? As soon as I return to Earth and tell them I've been successful, my men are ready to go into immediate production of hyperspace vessels. The universe is going to be full of them even before your ship reaches Procyon. He sensed now the full importance of what he had done. Now that there's practical transportation between stars, the galaxy will grow closer together, as close as the solar system now. Captain Donnell nodded. And what are you planning to do, now that you've dug up the Cavour Drive? Me? Alan took a deep breath. I've got my own ship, Dad. And out there are Rigel, and Deneb, and Fomalhat, and a lot of other places I want to see. He was speaking quietly, calmly, but with an undercurrent of inner excitement. He had dreamed of this day for nine years. I'm going to take a grand tour of the universe, Dad. Everywhere. The hyperdrive can take me. But there's just one thing. What's that? Steve and the captain said virtually in the same moment. I've been practically alone for the last nine years. I don't want to make this trip by myself. I'm looking for a companion, a fellow explorer. He stared squarely at Steve. A slow grin spread over his brother's face. You devil, Steve said. You planned this too well. How could I possibly turn you down? Do you want to? Alan asked. Steve chuckled. Do you think I do? Alan felt something twitching at his cuff. He looked down and saw a bluish-purple ball of fur sitting next to his shoe, studying him with a wry expression. Rat! Of course. Is there room for a third passenger on this jaunt of yours? Application accepted, Alan said, warmth spreading over him. The long quest was over. He was back among the people he loved, and the galaxy was opening wide before him. A sky full of bright stars, growing brighter and closer by the moment, was beckoning to him. He saw the crewmen coming from their posts now. The rumor had flitted rapidly around the ship, it seemed. They were all there, Art Candon and Dan Kelleher, and a gaping Judy Collier and Roger Bond, and all the rest of them. "'You won't be leaving right away, will you?' the captain asked. "'You can stay with us a while, just to see if you remember the place?' "'Of course I will, Dad. There's no hurry now, but I'll have to go back to Earth first and let them know I've succeeded, 
so they can start production. And then... Deneb first, Steve said. From there out to Spica and Altair. Grinning, Alan said. More worlds are waiting than we can see in ten lifetimes, Steve. But we'll give it a good try. We'll get out there. A multitude of stars thronged in the sky. He, Steve, and Rat, together at last, plunging from star to star, going everywhere, seeing everything. The little craft grappled to the Valhalla would be the magic wand that put the universe in their hands. In this moment of happiness he frowned an instant, thinking of a lean, pleasantly ugly man who had befriended him and who had died nine years ago. This had been Max Hawke's ambition, to see the stars. But Max had never had the chance. We'll do it for you, Max, Steve and I. He looked at Steve. He and his brother had so much to talk about. They would have to get to know each other all over again, after the years that had gone by. You know, Steve said, when I woke up aboard the Valhalla and found out that you'd shanghaied me, I was madder than a hornet. I wanted to break you apart. But you were too far away. You've got your chance now, Alan said. Yeah, but now I don't want to. Steve laughed. Alan punched him good-naturedly. He felt good about life. He had found Steve again, and he had given the universe the faster-than-light drive. It didn't take much more than that to make a man happy. And now a new and longer quest was beginning for Alan and his brother. A quest that could have no end. A quest that would send them searching from world to world, out among the bright infinity of suns that lay waiting for them. End of chapter 19 End of Starman's Quest Written by Robert Silverberg Read for you by Don Larson in Minnesota.